Welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector, and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. I want to mention one thing before we get started today that I do not talk about enough on this show. I occasionally mention it at the end. By then, you've probably already tuned out. So now I'm going to mention it up top. And that is if you have any interest in growing your audience or business, and I assume you do if you're listening to this, then you should check out my skill sessions if you haven't yet. They are a series of one-hour video workshops on specific topics. So for example, there's one called the Newsletter Booster, which I will show you a system to get newsletter subscribers in five minutes a day. I have one called the product in a day creator, which is all about how to create and launch a product in a day. Yes, it's possible. The client generator is a session on how to get clients using tactics that I've used to, to build my own consulting business. The relationship builder, another one, which is how to identify and connect with 50 people who can speed up your audience and business growth. And there's a bunch more in there. I do a new one every two months or so. If you like the show, I'm sure you will love them. And if you don't have to take my word for it, if you don't want, there's a skill sessions member named Jeff Langtot. And here's what he had to say about them. He said, quote, for content creators, Josh's content is wildly undervalued. I think that's a compliment. If you're not a paid subscriber, you're absolutely missing out. He never fails to deliver massive value in a no fluff, no bullshit manner. And then he says, note, I'm not getting paid. I'm just a very satisfied customer. Jeff sounds like a really smart guy to me. So I think that you should trust him. <laughs> To learn more about my skill sessions, check them out for yourself at joshspector.com slash sessions. Okay, now let's get on to the podcast. If you're new here, this podcast exists to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. Here's how it works. Each episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions. We have about a 10 minute conversation about each of them. No fluff, lots of actionable tips you can put to use. But today's episode is going to be a little different because today we're going to flip the script. Instead of someone asking me questions, I brought on a special guest whose expertise I want to learn from, and I'm going to ask him the three questions. Today, my guest is Arvid Kahl, and this is normally where I would read his bio to you, but Arvid was unable to do that because he doesn't know how to describe himself and said, <laughs> basically, funny. I should just use my bio. <laughs> so as a result, he's given me unintentionally my favorite bio ever. I said, well, how should I describe you? And he said, I think I'm a writer and I'm on Twitter. And I'm just trying to help people. So there you go. That is Arvid. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. I love your I love your bio. It's ironically maybe the most accurate bio I've had had yet. Well, I've, I think I've learned from the best. I'm I'm trying to be really concise and really short and really to the point, which yeah. is something that you've been teaching me through your writing, mostly in the newsletter. And I do want to endorse the stuff you just mentioned, like your skill sessions and uh, you. just, just your your wonderful way of getting somebody to actually vouch for it because they actually find use in them. That's that you're just such a cool guy when it comes to putting value first. Like even when you promote the things that you have to offer, mm -hmm. you immediately make them valuable. Every interaction with you is something that I learned something from. That's bizarre. And I, wow. I really Thank appreciate you. that. That's, that's Thank it. you. The, the feeling is mutual. And this is definitely my favorite episode ever so far. I feel like we should just wrap, <laughs> wrap it up now. I hope everybody I enjoyed it. it. Thank you, Arvid. You've been a great guest. Okay. So I wanted to have Arvid on for a lot of reasons. I was on his show and we talked all about newsletters. So you should definitely, we'll include a link to that. He has a great podcast as well. But today I wanted to bring him on because his approach, especially to Twitter, but also to just community and, and business and this online thing that neither of us know how to describe that we do is really unique. 
and rooted in generosity and value. I'm very impressed by it and inspired by it as well. And I thought it'd be really helpful to have you come on and I can ask you some questions to get into how you use these various platforms and how you, you approach that. So let's, let's start with the first question. One thing that has always stood out to me about you is the way it feels like you've built a community around you without technically having any kind of community or paid membership or anything like, right? You're on Twitter and, and it feels like you're the center of this community, but it's just organic. Mm -hmm. And I think the way you use Twitter in particular, and especially in terms of how you amplify others through retweeting them, sharing them, clearly rooting for their success, I think has been a big part of your ability to build that community and put yourself at the center of it. So Tell me a little bit about how you approach Twitter in that context, what advice you have for others who want to create community around them or put themselves in the center of an existing community without formally building a membership community mm -hmm. message, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So what, what's the secret? <laughs> Secrets, huh? Well, yeah. the, it, the secret is to openly talk about your secrets, but we, we can get to that mm -hmm. in a second. One thing that I noticed when I wrote my second book, The Embedded Entrepreneur, which was all about community-led and community-centric entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. is that I, I found a lot of people who are a community nexus in some way. Like they are the people that everybody knows and that themselves know everybody and they are super good at connecting them. And these people, like with, without a doubt, they have incredible reputation in their community. Whenever they launch something, whenever they do something, people talk about it benignly, like they will mm. be affirmative of what the thing is, even though they might not use it, they will still think it's really cool because it comes from within. They will support it. They will spread the word. They'll, they, even, even without using tools or reading the books, they will be evangelists for it because they care about mm -hmm. the person. And that is something that I have found again and again in my research in communities all over the place, like even, even on platforms like Reddit, where they are mm -hmm. very, very skeptical of advertising right. or anything right. that, that is product-based. It's not just a story or not just like a social media thing. Even there, you will find trusted members of the community. And those tend to be community members that act like a peer among equals. Like they, they don't like the hierarchy, even though there is hierarchy, particularly on Reddit with all the mods mm -hmm. and stuff. But they act like they're one of one of us, like one of one mm -hmm. of the group. And that is incredibly alluring because it's it's something that builds trust. And any act of kindness, any act of connection in a community is a trust building exercise. And in some way, trust will eventually turn into money or an opportunity or mm -hmm. people just want to pay back what you gave them for free. This kind of trust that just has to come from an honest, authentic place. And the easiest way to build this is by just being kind and friendly and helpful to people like in the first place. And in my own work, honestly, I just go to Twitter and I try to see interesting things that other people find interesting. And then I say something nice about it because it doesn't cost me much to say something right. nice on Twitter, which is apparently a revelation for some people or just trolls mm -hmm. on Twitter the whole time. But yeah. a, a retreat doesn't cost me much other than a tiny, tiny fraction of my credibility. So I do a little bit of vetting. I figure out, is mm -hmm. this person trustworthy? So I myself am an arbiter of trust. I, I just, earlier today, it's interesting that you asked this question because earlier today I was just saying thank you on Twitter. For, like, I just had, had this moment where I felt like, hey, mm -hmm. all the people I follow are really nice. There is no political discourse. There is no division, no weird kind of aggressive tone in, yeah. in my, my following, even though I follow 16,000 people. But over time, I've just deselected the people who brought this into the conversation. Mm -hmm. And now I'm, I'm left with, a lot of people are really kind and really friendly. And somebody was saying, yeah, when I follow somebody else, I check if you, 
that means me, already follow them. And I take this mm -hmm. as a sign of trust. So I didn't expect this to happen. And I, I didn't even yeah. expect this to exist. But I, I just today found out that for some people, I'm a trust giving instance. And that has it's come so from... funny. I'm sorry to cut you out. It's so yeah. funny that you say that because I literally found myself in the past couple of days looking at another account and going like, all right, well, what do I think? Like maybe someone who had replied to me and trying to assess them. Mm -hmm. And I found myself noticing, oh, X, Y, and Z people are following them. Okay, they must be decent. They must be legitimate. So yeah, it's and and it's not a signal that I've thought of either. And I don't think it's a signal that other people think about. But yeah, it, it's meaningful. It, it also makes it the worst idea not to follow anyone on Twitter. Like some mm. people, you know, they they have a lot of followers, mm -hmm. but they follow like one or two people, mostly because they've sorted their own followers in lists, mm -hmm. which are not publicly visible. But there the, is such a strong signal in just being connected to somebody else that that makes Twitter also such a resilient social network. No matter what Elon Musk is throwing at the platform, no matter how much he tries to destroy the business that he's bought, it feels like the, there's, there's a, an incredibly strong network effect, particularly in our community, but very likely in every niche community out there on Twitter, that yeah. dynamics like this can be actively used to build a reputation in the community. Mm -hmm. Like honestly, you just need to be there and you just need to act kindly to other people. And this effect will just come naturally because that's how the, this, the network itself is structurally built. So that's how I So do. let me ask you, was that, now, you know, some of, some of this obviously, and I think again, you and I have this in common that, you know, there is our nature, I think is to be helpful and generous and want to provide value, right? We're not just out there. You and I are never the kind of person that we're going to go on and scam people yeah. and do any of that. So some of that is natural, but I also think there's a lot of people and probably the majority of people who are very much like us, they are inherently generous and kind and helpful, but something happens that they don't know how to sort of apply that to Twitter. So I'm curious, and I'm talking about Twitter, but it's really true of all social platforms and communities, et cetera. I'm curious, like when you started out, was this always your approach or did mm. you start out using it as a broadcast platform like a lot of people do? And then so for over time realized, oh, when I share other people's stuff, when I engage, is this how you used it from the beginning or what was that evolution like? So, so I have in reflecting on this because I wanted <laughs> to understand it for myself. I have mm -hmm. found that I started as a person who didn't know what to do. Then I yeah. tried to become like a persona who was really mm -hmm. clear and really interesting and, you know, insightful and snappy. And now I'm just back to a person, but I know a little bit more than before. So mm -hmm. person to persona to person. I think that's my journey. And mm -hmm. most people get stuck at person, sorry, at persona. Like they, mm -hmm. they, they come and come in and they, they see other people being successful. They imitate what they do, which is usually a good idea to figure out if that's for you or if it's not and mm -hmm. experiment around. That's kind of, kind of how you find your own voice, even socially as a human being in any community, but they get stuck at the point where they just try to write really, really short think boy tweets and tweet them right. out on a schedule every single day and do nothing else or do the threads, right? Where people just mm -hmm. do the mind blowing 25, whatever threads. It's fine to do this from time to time, not hating on people who write good threads. But if this is the only thing you bring to the table, what's the point? There are like 4,000 mm -hmm. other people exactly like you, probably writing the mm -hmm. exact same stuff. So yeah. that persona, that's a nice way to try on the hat of being somebody else, but it shouldn't be the thing that you actually are. So I, I found that by, by understanding what value means to me, and you talk a lot about value too and in, in what mm -hmm. you do, 
I, I looked at Twitter and I thought, well, what is actually valuable here? And it's not just the, the threats and it's not just the, the quotable things, but it's sometimes even a question. So asking somebody who's an expert in something, what exactly would people do on your show to you? Or what yeah. you do right now with me, just asking the right question is incredibly valuable because not only do you get an answer, which is added value on top, something mm -hmm. people expect, but you know, the question itself is valuable because it makes you think, and maybe you have a different opinion than the person responding. Now you see this distance and you try to figure out, well, how do I get to where they are with their answer? Or why are they somewhere where I didn't expect it to be? And then somebody right. chimes in because you do it in public. And now you have a third opinion. Like the question is the valuable thing. The conversation mm. is a consequence, but even a question can be valuable. And once I understood that content isn't just something smart, Sometimes mm -hmm. something curious is content or something, sometimes something vulnerable, like opening up, sharing a really sad story. I think Pat Wells was doing this today. He was talking about starter mm -hmm. story and how he kind of set this goal of, of getting to, I don't know, getting rid of $65,000 in, in debt and getting to 10K yeah, in, his, in his account. That is something that it, it may not be valuable, just like mm -hmm. a, a passage from a textbook is in terms of knowledge. But the opening up the story and sharing something that other people find themselves in, that is incredibly valuable content. So if, if you then reflect on what would have been a valuable thing for you a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, and you just share that as if you were talking to your past self, all of yeah. a sudden, you don't have to come up with these quotable things or write these 20 yeah. tweet threads. You could just be yourself. You can be a person again. Just you know now why you're doing what you're doing. It's, I think it's just a journey that everybody goes through, but just don't stop at persona. Become a person again. Right. Just be yourself. And I think, you know, and this is another way, a different way of putting what you're talking about, but I think it's the same thing. I think a lot of people get stuck feeling like they need to be the expert. And yeah. to your, to use your phrase, feeling like that they need to be sharing the answers. Yeah. They go, I mean, I don't have the answers, but I think understanding that if you approach it as I don't need to be the expert, I need to be the conversation starter. Yep. And that the questions are every bit as valuable as the answers. I think it removes a lot of the pressure that I think some of those people feel where they go, well, what would I tweet about? I'm just trying to figure all this out. And understanding that like, yeah, like to you, like you said, like you don't have to have all, all the answers. The other thing that I, that I'd say that I definitely see with you, and I'm curious to hear your take on this. I see it with you and I see it with other people. I have a great audience. They're great people. They're loyal. They find my stuff valuable. Just like you, I don't attract trolls and all that other like crap that makes, you know, Twitter and social media a terrible experience. But one thing that I think is different is that I feel like my audience is very appreciative of me and your audience is also very appreciative of you. I don't know that my audience roots for me in the same way they root for you and some other people, right? The, they, they root for me in terms of they will spread the word. They definitely, there's a lot of word you should check out. You should follow Josh. You should read his newsletter. You should read his podcast. But when I launch a product, I think with you and there's other people I've seen, where people, your audience seems to come out of the woodwork. They are genuinely rooting for that to succeed. My audience, they'll buy it and they're appreciative of it, but I don't know that they really care whether my product is a double or a home run. There's it's something they do. They might. There's, but and maybe it's, it's just my own perspective, but there's something about the way you and, and certain other people like you that the, I don't know how to describe it, right? But do you feel, I'm sure you do, but 
do you feel that sort of rooting for you that they want, not just because they like you, but like they want your things to succeed? And what do you think, regardless of whether or not I have that, maybe I do, maybe I don't. But in general, what do you think that is that sort of engenders that in people, in an audience? Whew. I mean, there's a lot of guesstimation in all of this, right? Like, mm -hmm. what, what, how do I know? What do I know? I, I can't yeah. really tell you like anything concrete because there is no way to measure this, which is probably the reason why it exists. Because if mm -hmm. it was measurable, people would could Or maybe for you it. also. Maybe yeah. flip it around because you do it for other people, right? So I think that's you follow a lot of people and you see lots of different people's products and launches and all that. You certainly can't share and promote all of them. Some of them you do, some of them you don't. What is your sort of mindset? What makes you be like, hey, I want this person to succeed? Well, what have I, they done that's led you to do that? My, my go-to is, uh, do I see something in that person beyond their intention to make money of this? And I think mm. that's what people see in me as well. I left a lot of money yeah. on the table. I can tell you that. So, like I could have mm -hmm. sold a lot of consulting what I essentially mm -hmm. did in DMs for free, like I, sometimes I spend half an hour just typing out uh -huh. something for somebody else who never gets paid, probably because they also yep. couldn't frankly afford my, my rate, right? Mm -hmm. But I just do it anyway because I see something and I see a, a genuine desire to serve and empower. I think that's, that's the best phrase that I found for this yeah. is not just to, to serve to get money or to, to empower for, for some kind of intangible reason there is a business aspect which is an important mm -hmm. part because that makes it into a repeatable yeah. and scalable thing that reaches even more people so it has a kind of this multiplier effect in the future hopefully but i see this kind of this glint of interest in the actual thing that they're pe helping people with and when i see this i i tend to amplify it as much as i can and when i don't see this people can offer me as much as they want i will not amplify mm. I get DMs every single day yeah. by probably five to 10 people launching something on Product Hunt, which itself is hilarious because we're all launching at the same time. No matter right. whom I support, like they, you know, if I support all right. five, it's just going to rank them up a little bit higher altogether. It is, it's, I, I really check. I do a lot of due diligence on this, mm -hmm. on my sponsors, on my newsletter, sponsors on my podcast. I go deep into where they're from, what they're doing, who they are. Most of mm -hmm. the time is more important than what they do and where they come from, you know, how they communicate. Yeah. And if I find somebody who's never said anything about their business in public, it's very unlikely that I will ever like, publicly endorse what mm -hmm. they do, which is why I'm endorsing what you do, because you're very public about it. So yeah, you know, I am. That, Thank that, you. Is, that is just... Well, it's funny. It's funny. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but the way you describe it, I think I do something, I do something very similar, right? Of, are they actually trying to help people? Yeah. Do they really care about their thing? Are they just trying? Is it a cash grab? Is it a whatever? I also have a big thing with, are they teaching something they've actually done? Yeah. If it's educational versus, yeah. yeah, you read a bunch of stuff and, but have you, you know, don't teach people to grow a newsletter if you haven't actually grown a newsletter, you know, that kind of thing. The other thing that I would, that I would say about that is I see people sometimes that whatever they're doing, let, I'll just use a newsletter as an example, right? And I'll be like, that person's newsletter is good and they don't have traction yet or it's slow going because it takes a lot of time and little things that will encourage them to keep going yeah. because I can yeah. see that's right. this person can succeed. They feel stuck in the mud. Yeah. That, that's most of my DMs. <laughs> right. That, <laughs> but that, that little thing, that little, a retweet from me, a message to me, a reply going, Hey, you know, I really, you're, I like your newsletter. Like it's good. A little thing like that from someone who's a little further along can get, can keep them going. It yep. can give them just that little bit that they need to not give up too soon, which I think is, you know, most people 
give up too soon. And not that they're, sometimes you should walk away, but when you can see someone that you're like, oh, this person is on the right track and they just need to stick with it. And maybe that's a way to use my platform or my expertise or just say, hey, you know, you have something like you too, right? We get DMs and emails and replies all the time. And everyone's look at my new newsletter, look at my new this, look at my new product, my whatever. And most of them are kind of like, eh, okay, okay, whatever. But when you see that one, it's like, you don't want that person that you think has it to give up before they should. I'm going to go on to my next topic for you. But sure. before I do, there's one last thing on this that I wanted to get into. You mentioned you follow 16,000 people on Twitter. Yeah, it's crazy. How do you, <laughs> how do you follow 16,000 people? Barely, I think it's the answer. It's, it is really, really rough. I, my, my activity stream, every time I refresh the page, is a completely different stream. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's never boring on Twitter. But yeah. honestly, I, I just, if, if I see something interesting, I engage. If it doesn't mm-hmm. interest me fully, I don't. It's just, it doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Do you use lists or just the main feed for the most part? I occasionally use lists, but I don't even have time for that because in between like writing and podcasting and editing and all Uh these things, I try to spend time on Twitter a lot, but mostly it's just browsing my main activity feed or my, my mentions. Mentions are, that's an easy way to get me is to, to, to reply to something that I've Mm -hmm. written or mention me and then I'll see it. And if it's interesting, I I pay some more attention by my activity feed is just flying past. So let's say, let's say this podcast ends, you're going to dip into Twitter. What's the first thing you do? You go to your mentions, you go to your feed. What do you do? I'm probably going to go to my feed, just my activity Mm -hmm. feed to see. uh, And then I'm going to refresh it because it it is in a tab somewhere right next to me, but it's Mm -hmm. not in in focus. So it it should not be auto refreshing. So once I get there, it should refresh. And then the last hour of whatever Twitter deems interesting should Mm -hmm. be on top. And that's what I engage with. So I'm beholden to the Twitter algorithm just because that's how I get surfaced information. But usually the most engaged conversation is there. And that's the thing that tends to be the most interesting thing over the last hour. And these days for for you feed or following feed? It is still for you. Following occasionally Uh when I, when there's too much going on, but I'm still, you know, I, I, I try to be super equitable in these kind of things. I try to treat everybody the exact same. Doesn't matter if they're verified, doesn't matter if they have a million followers or 10. Sometimes if they have 10 and they're, they've been around and they don't have a profile picture and stuff, you know, if they're bots or if they're just, just people who are scamming or whatever, of course I I block them. I remove them, don't engage with them, but they're people who've just been trying to build an audience and they're on day four or day five and they've Mm -hmm. already found me which I find that's probably a testament to where I put my stuff because they already found me building the audience. Then of course I engage with them. Like imagine what would have happened to you or me Mm -hmm. if somebody like us, who's been way ahead of you would have talked to you on day three and given you like the five things that, that would best jumpstart your, your whole Twitter audience building journey. Imagine the impact and the fact that you will remember this forever. Like this is something Mm -hmm. that you will never forget, which is why I want to be there because I think being the person that elevated somebody to a new level, that is just great to, to show up in the history of somebody else because that's how I effectively sell my books. I don't sell my books mm-hmm. by pushing them in paid ads. I sell my books by people telling other people, and then I read this book, and then I built my business, and here I am. That's how mm-hmm. I sell my stuff. That's how I want to sell my stuff. I actually want it to be actual recommendation, an actual recommendation by somebody who read it and, and they really applied it to what they, what they did in their life. So for that... Yeah. I need to be where I'm not yet or where I, I should be, right? Instead of where I'm already at. So that's, hence, do you, I, try, uh, I try my best. W- one last Twitter question. Do you unfollow people often? And if so, what leads you to unfollow? The, the, thing, the things that make me unfollow people are when, when they're 
not compassionate with others, when they're rude to mm -hmm. others, when they are e extreme in, in whatever sense that might be, that may be mm -hmm. political, it may be racist or, or sexist or anything that is just destroying the integrity of the connection between people, either between them and me and, or them and others. I, I very regularly block people for that. And, and the moment they start scamming people, which is another extreme, I guess, where they, they start mm -hmm. abusing their, the power dynamic between them and yeah. the, the unwashed masses, like people who just don't know <laughs> yet that there's something like there, then I unfollow them. Then I actively block them. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. I love following people who come into my the conversations with a very different opinion. One of the things mm -hmm. I enjoy on Twitter is somebody saying, no, that's wrong. And here's my experience. That usually gets you a follow immediately because the more right. I can invite these voices into my, my echo right. chamber, the less echoey it becomes. And the more I actually learn from my in interactions on Twitter, which is why I'm there, right? I yeah. source my, the topics for what I write there, my podcast topics, my connections to wonderful people just like yourself. That all happens on Twitter. So, mm -hmm. you know, I want as many interesting voices as possible. And the ones that don't agree with me tend to be the more interesting ones. So I, I actively Smart. follow for that reason. Yeah. So you hear that, everybody? Go, uh, go tell Arvid to disagree with everything he just said and he'll, he'll follow you. Let me disagree uh, with cool. you. <laughs> yeah. So let's, uh, let's shift to my next question for you, which is I want to get into your book a little bit. So I, I read The Embedded Entrepreneur. I loved it. I highly recommend it to others. We'll put a link in the show notes. But for someone who hasn't read it or doesn't have the time to read it, I want to try to give them a bit of the magic right now. So what are the five most important or most actionable lessons from the book that someone watching this could put to use like right now? So the, the first one is like it, the, the earlier you start with figuring out who you're going to serve, the better. And that might, might mean that your whole approach to how you build a business should be flipped on its head. Most people start with products, ideas, like things they want to build, and they, then they try to push or cram it into a market. And while that sometimes works in some markets and for some products, most of the time, it's just a gigantic risk. Because if you put your own money into this, if you bootstrap your business, if you try to you know, build something from your own funds, this is just super risky. You're not playing with VC money by somebody else. You have your own, right? And, and that, that might want to mean, or you might want this to mean that you have a high chance of success. And the more you know about who you're serving, where they are, what problems they have, what existing solutions they use, and what they're talking about in regards to all of these things, like what do they recommend to each other? What alternatives are they looking for? Where are they asking for help? All of these things, that happens inside of communities. That's where people, the water cooler, right? That's where people talk about mm -hmm. stuff. And if you can go there before you come up with your idea and you actually start listening to what people have to say, then your idea will be a direct consequence of somebody complaining about a solution that doesn't solve the problem that they actually have. And mm -hmm. that, that chain of events is something that you need to actively want to do because most people don't think of entrepreneurship in that way. Most people consider entrepreneurship a way to doing the thing that you want to do, to build yeah. the thing that you always wanted to build. And it can be, but on, on your own dime, that's a big problem. So, I mean, I, I don't know how many lessons are in there. <laughs> this could be five yeah. already, but I think it's, it's one, one important thing. Let me, yeah. let me add a couple more. Yeah, please In do. one of the first chapters of the book, I say an audience is not a community and a community is not an audience because an audience looks at you while the community, people just look at each other. And it's interesting to think of anything you do in your business to be an audience-centric thing because in the end, your interaction with your audience is the thing that gets monetized. But the interaction with your community is equally valuable, just in a different way. For, for many people who build in public or who build businesses 
from within communities, they effectively have two different audiences. And that's something you can actively and intentionally do and should do. You have your potential customers, right? Obviously, the people who you want to mm -hmm. sell stuff to. And you have your founder peers or your expert peers in your community. And there's an interesting dynamic between these two audiences. Because if you build in public, and by building in public, I just mean you share the journey of how you built your business with the background stuff, with stuff like behind the scenes or your decision-making process, experiments you run, little things you do, features you build, you know, conversations you have with customers. You just share very publicly how you attempt to turn this idea, hopefully validated through the steps I just said, into something tangible that you can build a, a machine, like a generator that's, that solves the problem over and over again for more and more people, a business from, right? If you do this, then your customers will give you interesting feedback and your peers will give you interesting feedback. And often that's not the same, right? You get right. founder right. feedback on you should raise your prices and your customers mm -hmm. say, these prices are way too high. And now all of a sudden you have a very interesting kind of dissonance between these two. And that puts you into a, a great spot because usually all you get is your prices are way too high and you don't hear anybody else talking about it. So you might mm. just lower your prices. But then your founder peer said, yes, if you can, you can do that. But if you do that, all of a sudden your customer service conversations are going to sh shoot through the roof because people with high price discrimination who don't like to pay much money, they will complain more on average. That is my founder experience. And just having that second opinion gives mm. you a good reason maybe not to, to, to lower your prices, but to think about, well, why are they asking for this? What else can I give them to warrant this price? And these kind of conversations, they would never happen if you weren't sharing what are you doing in front of both audiences at the same time, intentionally. So that is something that if you're building in public or if you want to build a business from within a community, that is both customer community and your founder community, they not, are not often the same. They overlap in certain ways, but yeah. might just be two communities at the same time. That's one of the biggest benefits that you can get. Because again, audience looks at you, community looks at each other, and mm -hmm. two audiences of two different kinds, they will look at you and they will tell you what they think. And from the discrepancy, you can infer a lot of things that I, I call this the Mobius band of, of feedback because it goes mm -hmm. like from one in, into the other and it intersects right in the middle. And it's just one band anyway. It's a really bad example, but I try to visualize these things for no, myself. No, it's good. It's funny because it, it, it ties into, I was going to drill in on that because I like the sort of audience and community difference. So let's say that, let's say someone's just starting out. Mm -hmm. They don't have any of either of those. They don't have an audience. They don't have a, they're not part of a community yet. They're, they've got 10 hours a week separate from whatever product or whatever they're doing. They've got 10 hours a week to let's say dedicate to developing relationships, mm -hmm. right? And they're trying to figure out, do I, how much of the 10 hours do I spend on audience? How much do I spend on community? Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, would your advice be spend five hours on each? Would your advice be for the first three months focus on audience or for the first three months focus on community? How would you, somebody that's starting mm -hmm. blank slate and has limited sort of time Obviously, there's overlap here, and that's where I think your your diagram makes sense. But someone who's going, okay, well, what, you know, I can only do so much. What should I do? Okay, so I would say, like, if if we take the community looks at each other and audience looks at you, then audience audience looking at you is a version of community looking at each other. It's just that each other is you at that point, right? Mm -hmm. So anything will have to happen within a community to begin with, and that's where I would focus most of my time. 
Because there's, I guess this thing, if you start on Twitter and you have 20 followers and you send out a tweet, yeah. maybe one of 20 people are even just going to see it because you're competing with everybody yeah. else in that timeline. And even then they won't interact with it, right? So you pushing something onto Twitter, is not going to help you much. But if you mm -hmm. go into the existing community, if you go to, I don't know, my Twitter or your Twitter, and you have something that 40 people are engaged with they're in the comments, they're writing replies, and you put your own reply in there, you're effectively auditioning in front of their audience. And so audience mm -hmm. audition would be tip number three at this point. You go to somebody else who has an existing audience within the community that you want to serve, and you start engaging with those people and that person, but probably better those people that engage with that person than that person. Because most of the time, people who have a big audience, they don't get to reply to everybody. We just talked about this, right? It's super yeah. hard to engage with 16,000 people. But if you are in their comments and other people who have 20 followers just like you or 200 or 2,000 mm -hmm. engage with you, it's much easier for them. So talking to them there in the comments is easier than talking to me or you in the, right. the conversation in itself. So you go there, you start contributing to the conversation in the community. And by contributing, I don't mean like you put the link to your product in there, right? I mean, to you actively try to help people with the problems that they have. You bring resources in. You start connecting other people into the conversation, which is one of the things that we talked about at the beginning of this whole yeah. thing, right? That empowerment is not just retweeting. Empowerment is also bringing in an expert who might have an opinion. Just linking mm -hmm. them, asking them, hey, what do you think about this? A lot of people do this with me. And whenever that happens, I actually have a thought and I put it in there, which that other person might not have gotten if somebody hadn't pulled me in because I can't be yeah. everywhere at the same time. So actually connecting people just by mentioning an expert is a super powerful move that you can do. And that is going to, people are going to look at this and they see, oh, wow, this person is really nice. Instead of pushing their own shit, they mm -hmm. just got somebody else in. That is really yeah. cool. I want to follow this person. They're probably going to help me with that in the future. So that's, that's how it starts. You go into And I would also community. add to that real quickly is once you do get to a point where people start pulling you into stuff, it's a great sign of what people see your expertise and your opinion in. Yeah. I'll give you an example. I don't really think of myself as a founder. It's not a word that I use mm -hmm. a lot. I don't think of what I'm doing as a startup in part because I think I'm much more of a solopreneur and I'm not trying to build a company. I'm not looking for VC funding. It's just not the way I think about myself. Well, if someone pulls me into, like you said, if someone's having a conversation about founders and whatever, and they go, oh, they tag, you know, Jay Spector, you know, what are you, what's your take on this? It sends a sign to me that, okay, at least in their perception, they're seeing me as a founder. Yeah. doesn't mean that I am or that I have to be or whatever, but the things that people draw you into, you know, people draw me into conversations about newsletters all the time. And it's very obvious to me. Like I'm very much in that sort of newsletter space which is also a sign that, oh, that's working, right? I want to be perceived as a sort of expert in newsletters. And clearly some people I'm top of mind with that. Mm -hmm. right? And so I think that's another thing is when you do get to that point, it's also a way to check very specifically how people are seeing you and what, I hate to use the term boxes, but what boxes they, they're putting you in in their own mind. Yeah, it's, you become a, a category nexus like for that particular thing as well. Mm -hmm. And I think most people who run a podcast or who have interviews in some capacity with other people rather quickly get to that point because you just, mm. you become connected and then you become affiliated with these people just by proximity. It's really just that you, you're close with them because you had an hour conversation with this person and that already yeah. sets you, sets you apart from most other people who never reached that person. And even if you didn't have a, an hour conversation with that person, if somebody were to ask me about YouTube stuff, I would just add in Roberto Blake. 
That's what I would do. And, yep. and like, same here. I know the guy is great and he has a lot of knowledge. I've been reading Who, by the way, has been on this podcast and I'll link, it, I'll link it in right? the show notes and he's, you know, and he's great, right? Yeah. And, and it's on your podcast that I found him. And ever yeah. since, since that point, I've been reading his book. I've been watching his videos. Mm. I've just been engaging with him on Twitter because we are now Twitter friends. And because yeah. we have both an interest in making interesting content interesting for people, for interesting people too. Like it's, it's so easy. You just need to have a reason to get to talk to another person. And that is often somebody else's conversation. Like that your podcast was yeah. the reason for me to connect with them. And if you don't shy away from just the trying out, getting people to talk to you, then you get to this point, right? You get to this point where you become well-connected and people see you not just as an expert in the field, but also just an expert networker in the field. And they want that because you give them access to more interesting people. It just becomes a self-amplifying system. And that is, that is super simply done by just going to where conversations are happening, right? That's, yeah. you, you don't need to start your own. It probably wouldn't be possible if you were to start your own. But by yeah. going to where people are and bringing in more, hey, that's that's a surefire way to at least get some attention. And then if you're also nice, friendly, and kind and helpful, yeah. well, then you will find people who want to be your friends because people look for this in other people. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's one of the things I say to people all the time is the easiest way to get people to care about you is to care about them. Huh. And I'm amazed how many people want to build an audience but don't give a crap about their existing audience. Yeah. I, I get questions all the time about, oh, how do I get more followers? How do I get more subscribers? And I'm like, well, for starters, you could stop ignoring the ones that are replying to all, <laughs> to all your tweets. Yeah. Like, why don't, why don't we start there? One last thing, and I know I started asking sort of for, for five book things, and I don't know if we got five or 25, <laughs> but we got a bunch in there. Okay, but let me ask one more question on the book. What is the one thing that people who read the book mentioned to you the most or that maybe surprised you the most that, yeah, you put it in there, but you didn't necessarily think everyone's always, oh, you told me to do that thing. And that was great. Is there anything that sort of clearly, I'm sure, you know, different parts of the book have resonated more than, than others. What's something that really jumps out at you and maybe surprised you to the degree to which it resonated with people? So in the beginning of the book, it starts out with this guide to, to finding your audience, right? To going through all the mm -hmm. possible audiences that you might be interested in in the future and then starting, you start to rank them by opportunity and by how much you like them and all that kind of stuff. It's a step-by-step it's a -step guide that's just in there because I wanted people to have something tangible. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people came back to me and they said, they said, thank you for giving me permission to look outside the box that I'm in. To, to, they were software developers. They thought they have to sell to software developers or they were writers yeah. and they thought they would have to do something with writers. But they were also like golf players or coffee aficionados or something. And by just giving them examples like this for my own life, I used that list myself a couple of mm -hmm. times in the past. I just shared, I like, like fish. I like aquariums and I, I am a dog owner and I, I do like warm showers, not a cold shower kind of person. There are little things like this. Of course, like most of them won't be usable, but the idea of allowing yourself to think outside of your professional box, like I am a, because I do be right. That, that is something that, that, that worked maybe 50 years ago for whatever you wanted to do. But now mm -hmm. in this whole intersectional world of everything, your knowledge in any specific field is probably better applied in another field than in the field that you got it in. So that is yeah. that allowing people to look outside of this box apparently blew their mind, which I'm super happy for because now there's founders yeah. out there who read my book and actually think about the things they want to do, not just the things that somebody told them they should be. That's, that's so good. Cool. So let's get to my third, my last question for you. So I want to talk a little bit about your podcast. So as someone who's, I've followed you for a while, and I know that you've had a bit of an evolution in your podcast where 
you went from it just being you on the show talking mm-hmm. about and sharing your perspective on stuff to now interviewing others. And it seems based on stats and stuff you've shared that that has been great for you, at least in terms of an audience growth standpoint. So I want to talk a little bit about that decision and what you've learned from it, but also expand it beyond just the podcast. Let's talk in general about, I'm going to assume you think it's important for creators to have more interactions with others. This is also an extension of what we talked about on Twitter. Don't just sit there posting your thoughts about whatever, but go mix it up with Mm. people. What have you learned from the podcast switch? Why do you think that's important? And what advice would you have for somebody that doesn't have those, you know, you don't start with a bunch of relationships and guests to book and all that stuff, right? And maybe you're an introvert and all that kind of stuff. Let's talk about all of that. I know that's eight questions in one, but fire away. Let let me me try to get them all. Honestly, I I think running a podcast is cheating. It has been one of the most high leverage things that I've ever done, like an interview mm-hmm. podcast. In the beginning, mm-hmm. it was already great to have a regular podcast where I would just narrate what I, whatever I'd written mm-hmm. in any given week into this microphone right here. And then that would be my podcast. And that was already interesting. The, that's how I generally have my, my content regiment is write one thing a week, use it in four different ways, as a newsletter, as an article in my blog, as a podcast, and as a YouTube video. Slight variations in between, but barely any. It's just one thing, four different mm-hmm. ways. Because that allows most people to you know, consume it in whatever way they wanted to. Yeah. But I, at some point, I just felt lonely in my little basement in front of my computer. And I thought, hey, I have all these cool connections on Twitter or I'm, I'm building cool connections on Twitter. Let me just mm-hmm. leverage a couple and then see how it goes. And maybe I can use that to get bigger guests on the show and I can use them to get bigger guests on the show. So I just had conversations with peers that I had already chatted in DMs for years with. The first guest mm. on my show, Michelle Hansen, I think she'd been on my podcast because I've been on her podcast a couple times mm. already. We've been talking back and forth for years and we're both mentors in the Com Company Fund. So we have a relationship beyond that too, friends. And I, I had people just, I, I very quickly got very interesting people. I mean, not that Michelle is super interesting beyond mm. the ones that I already knew. Danny Vassalo was there as like my fifth guest or something. And from there, yeah. it just exploded. I got Patrick Campbell on there just shortly after he sold like ProfitWell to Pedal for 200 million. And I got Sahil Lavinia on there because that was exactly when Gumroad was increasing their prices. And there was all yeah, I thought that was going so on. smart and it, great. It, it was, you know, it was random timing. chance. We just had a chat yeah. at that time. And, and we was like, well, shouldn't we have a podcast episode about this? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? We recorded like an hour later. It was, it was really... The opportunities that you get from having conversations with people, you just get more access to more people because there is, again, this kind of nexus thing that is happening there too. There's mm-hmm. a second layer to this too. Though. Like every conversation that I have with somebody like yourself and like Daniel and like Michelle and Patrick and all the other 40 guests that I had on the show, it was, it was a crazy couple months of recording. Yeah. Every conversation is a learning experience for me. I, I step away from this conversation with a couple, if not dozens of new ideas freshly in my mind that can lead somewhere. Don't have to and tend not mm-hmm. to, but it, it's all in there. And all of a sudden I get to integrate their knowledge into mine, which is great. That's what a conversation is for. But the cheating part that I was referring to is that every, every time I talk to somebody for an hour, I think I get out of there with 10 blog post topics for the next couple of weeks. And I have one blog post that I need to write a week and I have one conversation a week. So I get nine unused ideas in my backlog every single week of my life. Like I literally cannot run out of ideas if I keep having conversations with people. So yeah. it is such a, a, 
it just feels so much lighter. It feels so much easier to do what I'm doing because I don't have to come up with things. They come naturally just having a chat with somebody because the moment somebody talks to you, new things happen in your mind, right? That's kind mm -hmm. of the, the echo chamber of yourself, of your own mind just explodes if there's somebody talking to you. And if you force yourself to do research on the person that you're doing a call with or to, to look into what they've just done, what they've said like recently, and if, if there's anything that you find interesting, that alone gives you ideas. That's my cheating. The cheating is I don't even have to yeah. come up with my own blog posts anymore. Other people do this in conversations with me. So it, it's been extremely powerful. And you, you don't, that's the thing. I've been, when you, the second question you asked is like, how, how do you get access to people like this? Honestly, if somebody asks me if I want to be on their podcast, the answer mm -hmm. is always going to be yes. I've yeah. never said no to somebody who's starting a podcast. I've, I've never did this. Mostly mm. to, like you said, encourage them. I see that there's something in them. Just what we yeah. talked about earlier. But also because why wouldn't I want to have a conversation with a cool person that is so energetic about doing something new? Why would I mm -hmm. not do this, right? This is a good use of my time and their time. And they get to have me on the show. So maybe they can get other people that were on my show, on their show. And they bring in their friends. Like it's, it's starting the little cascade, like pushing the first yeah. domino. I get to do this? Well, yeah, obviously I'm going to do it. I have an hour. I will take this time. So yeah. honestly, just find people who are already inclined to help in your community. That would very likely be the Nexus people that are already in there empowering everybody else. Mm -hmm. And just reach out. That's how you start. And if you don't like podcasting because you think you have a weird voice or you have a, you are a second language English speaker, both, both of which are probably true for me, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I still want to have a conversation with these people. And if yeah. it's interesting, people will listen, even though I am German and my English may not be perfect all the time. It doesn't matter. It's, it, yeah. it really doesn't matter. So that's, that's what well, I would it's, do. It's so funny because for me, the, it's interesting that you talk about it, it being a cheat. And I think about it the same way, even though I come at it from a different perspective, certainly with my own or a different format with my own podcast. I, for a couple of years, was like, oh, I should probably do a podcast. Maybe I'll start a couple of times. I almost uh -huh. started one. What would it be? And one of the things in my mind was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, so, you know, I'm very deliberate and strategic about what I do. It's a, I'm this weird sort of juxtaposition of being very deliberate and strategic, but also very much minimum viable. Let's go. Let's experiment. Mm -hmm. Right. So those are sort of opposite ends of the spectrum, but they actually work really good together because, and I've learned over the years, because I used to just start everything and then I'd be doing too much and whatever. So the strategic part now, I will at least force myself to think through if I'm going to do this, like, why am I doing this? What do I want to get out of it? It doesn't have to be money or anything like that, but what does success look like? Yeah. And once I decide sort of like, okay, this makes sense and this is what I want to do, then I don't get bogged down and it needs to be perfect to start. Then I go, all right, let's get it up and let's yep. make it happen, right? So for a while, I was thinking about, okay, well, if I launch a podcast, what will it be and how will I do it? The default is what everybody usually does at first. Not everybody, but lots of people like, we'll do an interview show. I'll have guests on and I'll talk to them, whatever. In that strategic part and thinking about it, I was like, well, wait a second. If this really is meant to be mainly a showcase for my own expertise because I want people to hire me or buy my products or whatever, then if I'm interviewing someone else in every episode, that's not going to lead people to hire me or buy. Yes, it might attract attention, but that's not really a showcase for my own expertise. It's a showcase for the guest's expertise. That, and then the other thing is I'm always trying to do things that are somewhat unique, especially with formats and all of that. And the truth is I love podcasts, but there's a million podcasts that are all the same. We can link to it. But I said in one of my episodes where I was like, I don't think I'd want James Clear on my podcast if I could have him that I'd rather have his assistant. 
because there's 8 million podcasts where James Clear is talking about habits and no one's talking to his assistant about what it's like to work with him. That's smart. So first I started with almost like you. I was like, well, maybe I don't do a guest show like everyone else does. I'll just record me talking about stuff. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. Maybe instead of me just going, I want to talk about blogging, I could have somebody on who has a blog that has questions about blogging and those become prompts. And one of the things I found, just like you're saying, is it becomes this, I learned, forget audience, forget monetization, forget all of that, right? But having people come on with their specific questions for me, I learned so much. And I get, I do get the questions in advance and obviously stuff comes up on these calls and we wing it, Mm -hmm. but it forces me to sit down. And when someone asks, you know, I have an episode coming up, I think where someone's going to ask me like, how do I triple my membership? I have to look at their membership and I have to sit down and I have to think about, okay, what would I actually tell them to do? I mean, it's, and what's funny is as, you know, and I had done consulting for a while and coaching calls before this podcast and this podcast on typical episodes when people are asking me questions, it's like free consulting, free coaching call. And, but what I realized also is the podcast has become like a gym for consulting. So it is my weekly practice. So now when I'm consulting, I'm just regularly like coming up with here's how to do this and here's how to do that. And obviously it creates content and creates all sorts of other ancillary value. So I started down that road and I was like, well, you know, yes, I want this to showcase my expertise, but I know some people that have expertise that I'd like to learn from. So, you know, once a month or so, I'll do an expert episode and be able to have people like Roberto on. I don't know anything about YouTube, Mm -hmm. right? And be able to have you on and go, I really admire your approach to Twitter and how you do stuff. Let's talk about like how, how you do that. And so I feel like I've gotten sort of the, the best of both worlds. And to your point, it is a, it is a sort of content sheet code that like, I'm never struggling for ideas and having people submit questions means I don't even have to struggle for topics. It's just, Oh, what do you, what do you want to know? Okay. Like, perfect. Let's come talk about that. As I'm sure you found out, as you start doing something, you realize things that you didn't even really think about in advance and opportunities it creates. Like, you know, it is sometimes there are people maybe who reach out to book a consulting call with me and I know I can help them. I would love to help them. They can't afford it. Now it's created this other bucket where I'm like, you know what? Come on the show. Yes. And I can help you for an hour for free. And we'll get content out of it and, and everybody wins and all that. The other thing that I didn't realize when I first came up with the, the format that I love is, you know, I think mine is really one of the only podcasts that I can think of where literally anyone can be a guest. You don't have to have accomplished anything. You don't have to have any expertise. You can, you could launch your newsletter a week ago and come on and get in front of my audience of 40,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. But you're breaking. Whereas with your, you're remo- right. And you're we, going the... back to relationships and helping people, most places like you can't get on a podcast that has an audience without having done anything. One of the things that I love about it, again, the sort of generosity piece is like, it's a different version of a retweet or a share, but to be able to invite people on and give them that kind of exposure while also creating value for my audience and creating value for myself, it's just a win across the board. There's something that I've found in just reflecting on selfishness and selflessness in, in, in that mm-hmm. regard, right? Because obviously you running a podcast for yourself 
is mm. by design a selfish act. Like you, you do this because you have a goal, whatever that might be, mm -hmm. it might be mutual yeah. empowerment of your community or making money or getting exposure, reputation, whatever it is, there's something selfish in there, but the way you do it can be selfless. That's, that's something that it took me a long while to understand that there is something between these two extremes. There can be selfless self-promotion. That's exactly what you're doing with your show. You're inviting in somebody else and you give attention to them and their problems and your capacity to change their lives. That is all publicly on display. That is a very selfless act, but it's still self-promotion. And there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with that, right? There's something incredibly powerful in mixing these two things because any business is both selfish because the idea of a business is to create mm -hmm. wealth for the owner and selfless because it is supposed to help other people. And if you put that in your mind and you, you remove this framing that we all have is that all advertising is purely selfish and mm -hmm. all good acts are completely selfless. If you take those two extremes away and find the middle, which is you can be selfless and selfish at the same time, and it will benefit everybody in this equation, then things like your podcast make immediate sense. It is, it is obvious yeah. that for somebody who sells consulting as their gig, whatever part of mm -hmm. your, your financial, I would be interested in that how much consulting you actually need to do at this point. But I have to talk about it. Shifted, <laughs> it shifted a lot. I can, I can tell you, I've, I've gone from in the past couple of years deliberately, mm -hmm. it's gone from 90% of 90 to 95% of my revenue being consulting mm -hmm. to now it's 60% and even less. Last Crazy. month, last month, only 30% of my revenue came from consulting. Yeah. And that was very deliberate over the past couple of years through my skill sessions, through my products, through mm -hmm. ads in my newsletter, yeah. through, through whatever, because the problem with consulting is it only scales so much. You can only, if you're not going to build an agency or do any of that, which I won't, didn't want to do, you can only help so many people and you can only charge so much money and, and all of that. But just jumping back to, I love, I love what you said about selfless and selfish. And I would actually go a step further and argue that I actually don't think you even can long-term Short term, you can always scam somebody out of whatever. Yeah. But I don't think long term you can build, you can achieve any financial success without being selfless. Yeah, never. Like I think, you know, you have to provide value to create value for yourself. And the other thing I would say, and I've written a blog post on on this years ago, and I I talk about it all all the time. Although I don't know that I've actually talked about it on this show yet. But the idea that self promotion is not a selfish act, it's actually selfless. Yes. And what I have found is that if you are making something or I've created something that you genuinely believe helps people yeah. and yes, genuinely provides value to <laughs> yes, it is irresponsible for you not to tell people yeah. about it. Right. And what I, and I say this to people all the time because people get very uncomfortable, understandably with self-promotion and they don't, you know, and by the way, the people that do, it's always, it's never the ones that should be uncomfortable that are uncomfortable. <laughs> it's always the ones that genuinely yeah, want to help people. And they're like, right. I don't want to, I don't want to bug people. I don't want to annoy them. You know, yeah. I feel uncomfortable. And you know, what I say is there's only two reasons you're uncomfortable promoting your, your work. One is your work's not actually valuable and you know it. Okay. Two is your work is valuable and it's just your own insecurity getting in the way. So if you, and what I like to do, and I, I flat out will ask people, like, do you genuinely believe this thing you created, this thing you offered is valuable and helpful to people? And if you say yes, it's irresponsible yeah. for you not to tell people about it. Yeah. If you're not sure, that's a different problem. Yeah. But it's amazing how many people are like, I made this great course, I made this great thing, but I don't want to bug people about it. 
well, are you sure it's great? Or, you know, what is it? It can't, it can't be both ways. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is the real issue. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, what you just said. The people who should be embarrassed about the things that they sell, right. they are not. Because they, apparently mm -hmm. they have overcome this inhibition already or are like physically incapable of being embarrassed, yeah. which is like a, a sociopathic kind of situation. But yeah, right. and, and that's the thing. You compare yourself to these people. If you're like an honest, earnest person with something mm -hmm. valuable, you still see people scamming and anything you say might sound like this. You don't want to do it. That's yeah. the thing. And that's how I feel about it. I have the same level of imposter syndrome. I love talking yeah. about the topics of what I discuss mm -hmm. in my books, but I rarely talk about the fact that I've written two books and have one course on all the topics that I regularly talk about. Yeah. I just, I rarely do this because I don't want to, I don't want to sound pushy because I see so many people being so annoyingly pushy that I don't want to be associated with them just yeah. by being somewhat like them, even though I know. And I know financially that it makes sense. I yeah. sold 20,000 books, like 20,000 people bought this and don't hate mm -hmm. me. So there must be something right. in there. So it's and just, by it's the way, that it's so funny that like we wound up here because it comes full circle to this is the first episode that I have started with that bit about my skill sessions. Yes. And why am I doing that? I'm doing that because I really, really believe in them. I know people love them. And I know I actually did a, a Twitter poll the other day and was basically like, you know, I forget the three options. And it was like, do you know my skill sessions? Yes, I've seen one. Uh, I've no, I've heard of them, but I haven't seen one or I haven't heard of them at all. And it was like 50% of people were like, I've never heard of them. <laughs> That's irresponsible. Of yeah. me. That is because I do truly believe in it. And not only that, it's been out and I have feedback from people that I know love it and find it really valuable. And so, you know, that for a variety of reasons, I was like, well, yeah, typically I would do this podcast. And at the very end, Right after everyone's logged off, when you start telling them to rate and review and all that other nonsense, you go, oh, by the way, I got these skill sessions. You should yeah. go check. And I was like, no, like I'm going right off the top and I'm going to say, I got this great thing. You're going to love it. You're going to find it valuable. Check it out. Yeah, I'm glad and it's so funny because this was not intentional, but I love that we've wound up here <laughs> at the end and making me realizing this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is why I did that thing in the beginning, because I know there's going to be listeners Two things. I know there's going to be listeners to this episode. That at the beginning, they're going to go, wait, what's he talking about? That's not how he usually starts the show. <laughs> and there's going to be people that go, what are those skill sessions? I didn't know he did that. And I know that anyone that goes and gets it is not going to be like, oh, what a jerk. He's promoting his thing. Like, no, he's, I'm telling you, this can help you. And that's the one last thing on this as well that I would say that gets into the self-promotion piece is the key being, I don't care if you buy my skill sessions. I created it. I genuinely believe it will help you. I'm offering it to you. Yeah. I'm not asking you to do me a favor. Yep. I'm fine. Yeah. And I know it's the same thing with you, right? You'd love people to buy your book and buy your stuff and whatever, but you're fine. Like you have food in the kitchen, but I think people get in that mind space. And one of the reasons they're uncomfortable with promoting their stuff is because they feel like they're asking for a favor. Yes. And when you wrap your head around, I'm offering an opportunity. I'm not asking for a favor. It's a lot easier to do that. It's a lot easier to offer than to ask. And I think that is just a really important mindset to keep in mind. Yeah. The, the big problem I think that we as digital creators have is that we don't have a store. Like, just ima imagine going past the bakery, yeah. right? You, you, you see the big windows and you see all the little things that they baked and the, the, the bread looks amazing and, and the other tiny little sugary things. They, they just, you mm -hmm. want to get and eat them. Like they can just put them in the window and passers by will see them and they say, oh yeah, I want this. 
it's super hard for us because we are in social media where whatever we tweet is just scrolling past you like immediately and it, it's gone. And if we, put, if we put too much stuff in our Twitter bio, it looks like an ad. And we don't want that either because we want to build a connection with you. It's, it's, we don't have a store. We cannot just put our books in the store window and hope that at some mm. point you just walk past on your daily commute to, to work or wherever and see this book and think, oh yeah, this is cool. Or wow, these skill sessions sound interesting. They are mm. not, they're not bagels. They're not bread. You cannot easily that is put them somewhere. That is such a great analogy. And I think it's it's the equivalent of if you walked into a bakery and the person working there had to be like, I made a muffin. Do you want a muffin? Yeah. I made a bagel. Do you want a bagel? <laughs> I mean, like they, you can, you're right. You can just look and see what they have and yeah. then decide if you want it. Yeah. But the social media version is that. <laughs> like that, I think pe people feel like I have a bagel and I yeah. have a muffin and I have a this and I have a that and I have a that. And like oh, muffins? did you know I also, and now back to the beginning, I have a bagel. It's the next day. I have a yeah. bagel. I have a muffin. I have a whatever. Yeah, but you're right. Not having that storefront. But I, and I think understanding for, like digital creators and, and people selling products, understanding that, yeah, you're not, it's not a bakery. No, they exactly. don't know yeah. unless you tell them, especially nowadays with social media. You know, I'm amazed. Like I literally have people now, as much as I'm all about my newsletter and it's everywhere, newsletter, newsletter, newsletter. I have people that will be like, I didn't know you had a newsletter. You, you know what the first and thing And it's I'm not gonna... their fault. Yeah. Like that, you know, that's on me and that's on the creator and whatever. Okay. You know, everyone assumes everyone knows what they're up to, but they don't. In, in the way there is massive pressure on creators to, to put themselves out there and to be the agent, to be their own agent. If you're yeah. a writer, like a pr pr traditionally published writer, you have agents, you have people who do marketing, who mm. do distribution, who do partnerships, who do translations. And you have all these kinds of things somebody else is doing them because they're good at it. And as, as a creator, you're probably good at creating, but you're definitely not necessarily a great marketer or a salesman because you are both like any founder, any entrepreneur, like creator, entrepreneur, founder, it's all the same to you. You have yeah. to be a good boss for yourself. You have to be a good mm -hmm. manager, a good operations person. You have to build the thing, either that's writing text or coding, mm -hmm. whatever program it might be. And then you have to market it. You have to sell it. You have to do your fin finances. You have to do taxes mm -hmm. for some reason. Like, all of this is in you. It's yeah. not surprising that some of these things are less good than others because you're just not as focused on them. But I think, yeah, yeah we, we just have to understand that we can talk about these things. The first thing I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing after this call is go on Twitter and ask people if they know that I've written two books. I'm really excited to yeah. see what do what do a poll. You know, the other the other thing I've done is I will occasionally, and it's really cool if you do it like at different intervals. Mm -hmm. So I think I've done it a couple times, a couple months apart. Where literally asked like a really, I was like, do you know I have a podcast? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was <laughs> yes, no. And, but what was interesting, I would do it a couple of months later and you could see, even though it's a total random sampling, <laughs> you could see, oh, more people know. So like it was a way to gauge that's awareness nice. marketing yeah, on a great. simple sort of Twitter poll. Yeah. Yeah. So, so definitely do that <laughs> and I'll, you'll be, you'll be interested to see the results. Arvid, thank you so much for coming on. Everybody that is watching and listening to this. Oh, I didn't even mention our little contest. So I was going to say, <laughs> check out Arvid's podcast and Please YouTube do. channel. So this is going to come out in a month. And hopefully by then I already have crushed Arvid in this little <laughs> contest. But basically, Arvid posted something recently. His YouTube channel hit 2,000 subscribers. I was at about 1,600 and went on Twitter and said, basically, race you to 3,000. <laughs> and then he, of course, because he's like the nicest guy in the world, was just like, good luck. Congrats. Good for, good for you. I'm rooting so for you. He, 
Right. Yeah, exactly. So he's rooting for me, but go to, go to my YouTube channel or if you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe to my channel so I can get to 3000 and but before Arvid does. And if you want, go subscribe to his channel too. Or even better, just wait till I hit 3000 and then go subscribe to his channel. And um, but Arvid, <laughs> yeah. Tell them tell them where they can find you, connect with you, all your all your stuff where, wherever you want people to go. Yeah, I spend 25 hours a day on Twitter, so you're probably going to find me there, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. And, you know, I, all, all my books and stuff are linked there if you're interested, but you don't have to be. You can also just DM me. My DMs are open. You don't even need to follow me. You can just talk to me, whatever. That's fine. I just want to talk to interesting people. So that's yeah. what my Go disagree with them. Yeah. Go disagree yeah. with them. And that's, with the, me in the that's the way to his heart. I. Uh, yeah, if you have cool cool ideas about the things we talked about here and if you have different opinions or examples from your own life, I would love to hear about this. Again, that's my cheat, right? My cheat code is getting other people's stories into my brain and then using them to tell other people something that they can use in their own lives. That's, that's all I want to do. So please, please find me on Twitter. And, and that's, that's all I want. And, and obviously, please, please follow Josh's YouTube channel. Please subscribe. <laughs> to Josh's YouTube channel. And if you find some time, maybe look at mine, but his is more. It's going to be, it's going to be really embarrassing when I don't beat you to 3000, despite, despite you doing everything possible to help me for everyone else. My newsletter for the interested.com slash subscribe skill sessions. You've heard a lot about him. Josh slash sessions. I'm on Twitter at Jay Spector. If you would like to come on the show and ask me three questions, go to Josh slash questions to submit them again. It's like free consulting and promotion all rolled into one. So That's good awesome. opportunity. Thanks again, Arvid. Thanks everyone for listening. I will see you or be in your earbuds next week. <laughs> Bye-bye.